0: Welcome to Leading the Next Generation with Tim Elmore, where our mission is to empower the emerging generations with skills to lead in real life. Welcome back, podcast listeners. We are so excited to talk about today's subject. Uh, my name is Andrew, of course, and with me is Dr. Tim Elmore, our fearless leader. How are you today, Tim? I am very well. How about you? I'm doing good. Go I'm doing good. Well, we got an intriguing title to this. Um, what the Amish can teach us about getting kids ready for life. Now, if our listeners have not been in Amish country before, they might have very little knowledge about what that's like, but you and I have actually both gotten to spend some time in Amish country. So what are some of the things when you think about spending time there that you, that come to mind?
1: Yeah, well, I've been to Lancaster, Pennsylvania several times over Me too, my career. Yeah. And then northern Indiana, where there's a pretty big Amish population. I I I love uh, how they live. They live a simple life, and sometimes I wish I could join that simple <laughs> yeah, life. Yeah, I'd hang up um, my phone for some of that. Sometimes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. but you know, it's it's generally oh. seen as a, as a as a wholesome, if not antiquated. Some might say, "Well, that's antiquated." You you know, you don't even allow electric, this or drive cars or whatever. But um, I always enjoy my time there because I think they remind us of simpler times. Yeah. But how about you? What what's your what are your memories of of uh,
0: if I'm beyond being honest, the number one memory is the ice cream. Yeah,
1: boy, those people can make food, right? Yeah,
0: no and in doubt. fact, where my um, where my in-laws live, where my wife grew up in Iowa. Probably 30 minutes away, there's a whole Amish community. And so uh, every time I spend time there, they get their flour from there, they get honey from them, yeah. they get all kinds. So they're just known for making wholesome food with wholesome ingredients. And it's such a match to the culture that they have. Now, of course, when you're there, the first thing you're going to notice is somebody going down the street in a horse and buggy, yeah. right? Yeah. Or the hats and the clothes and yeah. the uh, the beards and all of those kinds of things. But I think what I think of is, just like you, I think of that wholesomeness,
1: yeah. the naturalness of that life. Lifestyle. Yeah, well, and you mentioned food. The favorite food that's come out of that experience was um, Ann Beeler's. Remember Auntie I Anne's do. pretzels? Yeah. We've and seen them probably at the Probably most people listening have had an Auntie Anne's that's pretzels. right. Well, she grew up in Pennsylvania and uh, came up with this incredible, with her husband, this incredible recipe for pretzels. And I frequent Auntie Anne's <laughs> as often as I can. I'm a health food nut, you know what I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> anyway, great, great pretzels. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, I... I, um, you know, Andrew, I've told you before, when, when our kids were growing up, uh, my wife and I tried to create um, a rite of passage experience for both of our children. Yeah. So it was kind of a two-year journey that include daddy-daughter trips or daddy-son trips. But then Pam and I both initiated this two-year journey that would become a rite of passage for them, an experience that would offer vision for what life could look like for them as an adult, to get mm-hmm. them ready for adulthood. Uh, we took them on special trips, we introduced them to mentors, uh, we gave them symbolic gifts, and we celebrated um, the upcoming opportunity to take their place in the world. Um, some of you listeners listening right now would say, yeah, we did the same with our kids. Yeah, But um, I believe every teacher, school administrator, coach, youth leader, or parent for that matter, that I know wants to help their kids really be ready when it's time to leave home, right? To be ready for real life. You know, that's our tagline. That was the book you wrote this last year. So um, life after graduation is um, scary. I just was with 75 teenagers yesterday, and I said, what's the scariest part of life after graduation? One hour later, we went on with a <laughs> seminar because they were just... and they were There's smart a lot on kids, their mind, go, yeah. Oh my gosh, I don't know, pay the bills, do my own laundry, yeah. all that kind of stuff. But um, believe it or not, there are populations of Americans, and we're going to talk about the Amish community now, who share this desire for the young. And they can teach us a thing or two about getting kids ready yeah. for life after childhood.
0: Yeah, it might seem like a great uh, uh, kind of irony that we would go to the folks who have intentionally remove themselves from society and go, we need to learn a a thing or two from them about how to get ready for uh, the world. But the reality is that they practice this rite of passage thing and so many practices around developing their young to prepare them for life that actually are just as
1: relevant whether or not you got a phone in your pocket or not. That's exactly right. So after trips to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, as I mentioned, and Elkhart, Indiana, I stumbled across some great lessons, I guess I would call them, from the Amish about how they prepare their youth for life after graduation, for adulthood, if you will. The Amish have developed some valuable traditions, actually, that we could learn from. So while I knew their history a little bit, I didn't realize how they prepared their young for what's ahead. So we have a few of their traditions, Andrew, that we'd like to talk about today. And listeners, I'm hoping that one or two of these you would go, that is so relevant, I'm ready to practice that myself. Awesome. Let's do it. All right. So number one, uh, work is a part of their educational preparation. Now, that may seem like a no-brainer, but folks, that's not happening everywhere. Mm. I know kids who went all the way through K-12 education and never worked a job. Uh, and, and by the way, it's not a small number because parents said, oh, you need to, need to give attention to academics or you need to give attention to sports or soccer or whatever because you're going to play professional, you know. We don't let them do that. So the Amish recognize the value of both book smarts and street smarts. Mm. Their children are required to attend school until they're 14 years old. After that, they can choose to continue their education or start working. Interesting. Some Amish children choose to attend college, but this is not common. Most Amish children finish their education after eighth grade. Their community considers real-life work experience as part of the rite of passage into adulthood. Isn't that interesting? It is. Uh, While I believe in formal education, I really do. I love college. I love colleges. I believe work should be a part of kids' maturation, and I think it actually accelerates Social and emotional learning. Absolutely. You know, working with people, being good at reading body language, all of those things that we think are life skills. This happens at work. Yeah. And the Amish knows that, know, know that. Uh, taking them from a classroom to a workplace as a teen eases them into adulthood. It's adult beautiful. Life.
0: Yeah. And I wouldn't also, I would I would also say that probably the Amish are allowing their children to do age-appropriate work Mm -hmm. around the house, even before then, right? Yeah. So I'm not getting into my career, but I'm eight years old, and I'm helping on a farm, or I'm helping to do this or move that. And that that same mindset would basically prepare a student that when they think about work, it doesn't overwhelm them, right? I've been doing little bits of work or working my way
1: into that reality from the earliest ages that it made sense. Absolutely. In other words, an elementary school child, let's say 4th, 5th, 6th grade, is learning to milk a cow, you know? And you may go, well, do you need that life skill? Well, I think there are transferable concepts in the discipline of doing that at 6 a.m. Yeah. That that we can pass on. Absolutely. So I want you to hear me. Work is a part of that educational preparation. Yeah. Number two, exploring boundaries is part of the experience. Yes. This one took me by surprise. So the Amish recognize that adolescents naturally test boundaries and must embrace their own sense of identity. Most of their communities practice "Rumspringa," a German term meaning "to run around." Isn't that interesting? Yeah, you need to run around, son or daughter. You know, <laughs> uh, it generally occurs between 16 and 24 years old, when teens are permitted and even encouraged to explore otherwise forbidden or strictly regulated behaviors before making the choice to commit to the church or to leave the community. I want to I want to underscore that, and you're listening here. That's very interesting. I'm going to push you out of what I've told you because you're going to have to make a decision. Oh, what mom and dad said were right after all. Yep. And I want to do that. Or I do feel like I'm a little different, and they allow their kids, if they wish, to leave the community. It's very, very interesting to me. Okay, so they investigate the outside world. That is, these kids, these teenagers, they investigate the outside world to figure out who they are. Knowing adolescence is a time to ask questions and own their own decisions, the Amish empower them to do just that as as young adults. And when they return, it's their decision, not their parents' decision. Mm. And it ultimately solidifies their place as adults in that community. I love that. I do, too. Yeah. It seems like um,
0: sort of— maybe anti to this belief that I'm going to do all these things to get my kid ready. I'm actively preparing them to walk away from what I've built, right? Yeah. But I've heard you talk for years. All kids, as they grow up, naturally tear down the fences that their parents have structured for them in their lives. And so what I love about the Amish is they're looking at that and going, I know it's coming. Yeah. So why don't I build a pathway for that kid to naturally follow that, that process? Yeah. And then help them know, hey, I'm going to allow you to do this, but just so you know, if you choose to come back, we're going to welcome you with open arms. Absolutely, yeah. And we're going, to, we're going to consider you truly a part of this community yeah, once you Because you own do. that,
1: yeah. So, Andrew, you just used that term fences. I do love this metaphor. Maybe this will be helpful for you as a teacher or parent or whatever your role is. So I believe um, every good parent, and this is a metaphor now, places a fence around their children. Again, metaphorically speaking, to protect them, to guide them, to keep them it's in It's a natural and will. good thing. Yeah, because I want to keep them, yeah. you know? I want to keep them healthy. Yeah. Every child, as they move into adolescence and beyond, needs to tear down that fence. Now, some of you listening, the hair on the back of your neck just stood up. <laughs> Stay with me. Yeah. I'm going to explain. Those kids need to tear down their fence, not because you were wrong, but because they have to own their own fence. Yeah. So every young person, every teenager, needs to tear down mom and dad's fence and build their own fence. Now, I also believe it is natural for every parent to hope to God that that child's fence is awfully close to their fence. And by the way, what I'm talking about is maybe their view of drinking or smoking or drugs or whatever. There's a lot of gray areas out there. Lifestyle of all kinds. Yeah, so you've got to let them own it. There's nothing more pitiful, ladies and gentlemen, than for a 45-year-old young man or a midlife man to still be living in mama's basement, need her to make mac and cheese for him because he hasn't owned his life. Yeah. So this fence thing is a good analogy. Let me say one more thing now. Because I believe they need to build their own fence, and we want them to build their own fence, we must let it happen. But here's a temptation. If you happen to be a person of faith, it's very easy to confuse your fence with God's fence. Hmm. You know? But God didn't say be in at 10 p.m. There's not one verse of Scripture that says be in at 10 p.m. Now, that may be a good idea, but own it, Mom. Yeah. God didn't say I said that. And we sometimes cross over, and pretty yeah. soon we confuse them theologically or in their worldview, and that's not helpful. Yeah. We need to be authentic. So anyway, this second step is a good illustration of that fences thing. Only there would, they would say uh, boundaries is what they need. Okay. Yeah. There's so much wisdom in that. Yeah, there number, really three. Is. number three. Number three. A celebration leads these young people to courtship and marriage. So this is very interesting. Again, they're encouraging, not demanding, but they're encouraging courtship and marriage. So the Amish acknowledge the human spirit and the hunger to celebrate in their teen years. Uh, in other words, they would say there's probably a number of rites of passage that exist. So contrary to common belief, Amish teenagers aren't deprived of the joys and adventures of typical, that are typical of, of their peers the elders within the Amish community possess a deep understanding of the teenage spirit. This is such an oxymoronic thing to what we would assume about a very conservative community. So before transitioning to full-fledged adulthood, these Amish teens enjoy a celebration to explore the outside world and even romance without fear of reprisal from their elders. Now, you know What's happening in the human brain as <laughs> yeah, a teenager? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to try this, that, yeah. the other thing. Yeah. So, but they're going, I know this is natural, be wise. Yeah. But, but it's up to you. That's powerful. Indeed, it is. So, courtship unfolds however, within a unique framework, okay? All dates occur in public spaces, ensuring that intimacy remains on hold until sacred bonds of marriage are formed. But they're saying, go do this, go do this, go do this. And by the way, one of the reasons I think today this is essential is we're hearing more and more that dating is almost a lost art Mm -hmm. among Gen Z. Yeah, You know, they're not, except on a screen, I find my date there. I date my date there, I break up online, yeah. I never saw that girl in person. You know? <laughs> We've actually known some adolescents yeah. to say that. So this is actually forcing them to build interpersonal skills Yeah. Um, and, and to build emotional intelligence in their life. This is, I'm saying, sometimes those old traditions are not antiquated, they're timeless. Yeah. And, they, and the Amish have figured at least this much out.
0: Sometimes when we... Um, When we design kind of how we expect our kids to interact, one of the things we do is we incidentally push them towards having, for instance, a romantic relationship in isolation, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, There's tons of stories of moms and dads having no idea their son or daughter has been dating somebody for months. Um, So one of the things I love about this is it brings that into the fold, and it says, your choices on this are your choices, but you're doing so within a community, right? So do it uh, in a way that fits with the community's lifestyle.
1: Can I tell a quick story? Please do. So um, here's the contrast to the Amish. So you're right. We often do date. uh, If we do date at all, Uh, back in my day, we dated for sure. When I was dating Pam, who later became my wife, we were out on a date and we pulled up to her house and we were just having a little alone time in the car. I told her mother and dad we were praying in the car, but uh, probably not. But anyway, we were in the car, and we just were there for a while. We were there for a while. You were just there for a while. So both of us started laughing when we noticed the front porch lights were going off and on, off and on, (laughs) off and on. We were getting message. Time to wrap up here. The the date is over. Those
0: were your own community bounds is what it sounds
1: like. (laughs) Yeah, Jay, her father was a good guy, still is. But uh, we knew when it was time to... You know, end the day. Amazing.
0: Okay. Amazing. Uh, so we've got two more of these, Tim. But before you go there, let's take a quick break. Um, uh, I want to talk about a resource that we have available. And then we'll come back and hear
2: those last two. Our technology fuel world is faster and more convenient than ever. But are we better for it? The evidence now shows that for our youngest population, Generation Z, life has not gotten better. They are the most social generation in history, but they are also the loneliest. They are the smartest generation in history, but they also struggle in basic social interactions. They have more opportunities than ever before, but they tend to feel overwhelmed rather than empowered. And students aren't the only ones who are struggling. Shorter attention spans, shifting learning styles, standardized test preparation and continuously changing policies are all creating frustrations for educators as well. To address these challenges, the world's greatest educators and leaders are changing their strategy. Instead of just emphasizing grades and tests, these leaders focus on instilling their students with skills they can use to make more positive life choices for themselves. These timeless soft skills go by many names in the modern world. But no matter what we call them, they all lead to one outcome, young adults who are ready for real life. Ready for real life, unpacking the five essential soft skills leaders instill in their students is the latest book from author, researcher, and speaker, Andrew McPeak. Ready for real life defines the five core soft skills all students need using simple metaphors, a mirror, a map, a compass, a two-way radio, and a passport. Using compelling stories and practical insights, Andrew shows how these five skills, though timeless in human history, are still our best strategy to prepare young adults for the 21st century. Ready for Real Life is available now Simply visit www.readyforreallifebook.com or click the link in the description to order your copy today.
0: All right, Tim, we're back. Um, We've got two more insights that you've gained from how the Amish raise and lead their kids.
1: So let's dive into number four. Yeah, number four. Entering a marriage covenant is a family affair. Now, of course, everyone listening would say, of course, the family's at the wedding. Oh, oh, it goes way beyond that. Mm-hmm. So the Amish believe most of us want to find a partner and marry into a family, not just a person. By the way, that's what I found. I, I married into Pam's whole family, and yep. she married into mine, yep. for better or for worse. That's why those lines, by the way, are in the wet marriage vows, <laughs> yeah, for better or for worse. Yeah. There were some... They're talking about the family when they say yeah, that, right? In fact, may I share another <laughs> illustration? So Pam and I... Uh, Stayed in, La, uh, in uh, Palm Springs for our, our um, honeymoon okay. because my aunt and uncle, Gina Wanda Elmore, offered their timeshare. Uh, but they had a free week, and they said, you take, take it. It's yours for free for a honeymoon. So we go, my gosh, that's awesome. Palm Springs, you know. For, free for place to stay. Free place to stay. I'm so frugal. That was sounding very good. I wasn't thinking, because it was my aunt and uncle's timeshare, they had access to that condo <laughs> before we got there. Well, we walk through the door, and there's balloons and flowers. Well, you know, congratulations. Sweet. That was all nice. But as Pam and I go to bed that night for our first night of wedded bliss, I'm not kidding. I hear voices from the closet. I'm not kidding. Oh, no. Tim, I'm ashamed of you. It was my mom's voice. And I got up and I go, what is going on? I go over to the closet. The closet is locked. And my family is not in the closet, but they've set up a— recorder back in that day. It was a tape recorder that was on a timer, and it went off three times a night. And they interrupted our first week of marriage. with Like uh, every night? That's right. Yes. (laughs) New form of birth control. I think I would have taken that that door down. Oh, well, I tried, and it was (laughs) locked really well. My dad and my uncle had it all rigged up. So anyway, I share that to say You marry into a family, the Amish understand that, and there's a lot of ramifications. So, back to the point here. Um, So, uh, you do marry into a family, not just a person. Once the Amish church has given its blessing uh, and an elaborate ceremony culminates in wedded bliss within the Amish community, and another celebration then ensues. And I mean, it is a, I'm talking cousins, aunts, uncles, second cousins. It's a large, large, large community. And most of their families are larger than, than the average American, okay? To kickstart the honeymoon, the couple embarks on an unusual but cherished tradition. Their first night together is spent at the bride's parents' home. Pregnant uh, pause. I'm not right, kidding. Yeah. Yes, there, there you go, okay? The following morning, the couple embarks on another unique ritual, cleaning the house. (laughs) Now, that sounds so bizarre, but it's a normal tradition. They realize my mom and dad did this. My grandparents did this. I'm cleaning the house. But the point of it is marriage is work. And I know you're having fun. You're exploring each other. This is awesome. But, you know, you're part of a larger community and— you know, it's work. Yeah. Uh, I think marriage is spelled W O R K. Yeah, really sometimes it is. Yeah, that's right. So, this act symbolizes their appreciation and respect for their families. Then they embark on a journey of visiting various relatives. So, their first week is not in Las Vegas or Palm Springs. <laughs> not
0: that I expected them to go to Vegas, but you know,
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's right. They visit various relatives, hopping from one house to another. And only after this process do the newlyweds enjoy their first night alone together. So that's number four. And I just thought, oh, my gosh, is there anything we can pluck from that to Mm. say maybe we can have our own form of reiterating this is a community affair. Yeah. And you're not marrying unto yourself Yep. We we participate in the social contract of all humanity. Yep. We're, we're for each other and with each other all the way.
0: Our individualistic mindsets keep us from recognizing the places where our lives are intertwined. Yeah. In fact, the word I keep hearing... Um, people who are thinking on this topic talk about is the word is enmeshment, right? Yes. I'm yeah. reading a lot of, of uh, David Brooks right now, and he's yeah. talking about that. We are all a part of a community. We just don't recognize it yes. so much. So let's recognize where we are enmeshed together yeah, that's right. and celebrate those things
1: instead of you know running from them. That's right. All right. The last one, number five. Um, maturity means taking your place in the larger community. This is kind of a double click on that last one, but it goes much, much, much larger. The Amish are convinced that every individual must engage in humanity's social contract. I just use that phrase. No one is an island. And within Amish communities, the ethos of sharing and caring takes center stage. They embody this attitude through collective endeavors like barn raising events, a grand potluck gatherings. So, you know, potlucks are huge and you know, some Auntie Anne's pretzels, I'm sure, are there <laughs> I to, love, be, to be considered. I love a good potluck. Like I do, too. Yeah. My gosh. Did you grow up with some of those? Oh, yeah. If everybody come together. Church after Sunday, yeah, you know, right. everybody gets together. Absolutely. Yep, it's so true. So these events, as you just said, bring everyone together with each community member, contributing a dish, creating a time for spirited social interaction. The Amish community thrives on the bedrock of unwavering solidarity and mutual support. Can I just stop and say what a contrast that is to the polarized population of Americans today that we mm. have far left, far right. We're arguing. We're outraged over everything. We think if you disagree with me, you're an enemy. Yeah. And I think, oh, would it be nice to we be a We could do so much better than where, that. Yeah, we may disagree, but we still love each other. Yeah. That is so crazily different than what we have. So and let me go back to one thing I just said. So constructing barns, you know, the barn raising. Uh, For fellow members in need, becomes a rallying point. If somebody's barn goes down in a tornado, and that does happen in northern Indiana, uh, the whole community comes out, and within six hours, what a tornado tore down in six hours, these men in the community, and women too, raise in in, in six hours. Amazing. It's just fabulous. So this just is a picture of active participation from every single member. So America, if I can just state the obvious— has typically celebrated independence and rugged individual spirit. Yep. I think listeners you'd agree with that. However, genuine maturity means embracing humanity's social contract, being exactly who you are, yet finding your place and belonging to a larger community. I am who I am, unique individual, but I'm for a larger community. I'm not just for myself. Yeah. Young people need to learn this. We all learn it by hook or by hook. I mean by crook or by hook. Yeah. You know, because I realize I do drive on the right-hand side of the road. I do pay my taxes. Yep. I do, you know. Yep. So, um, I think we should borrow a page from the Amish playbook when it comes to preparing our kids for real life. And I guess, listeners, I would just ask you: of these five items I just shared with you from the Amish tradition, which one of these resonates with you? Mm. That's so good,
0: Tim. It's so good. Well, we are talking about the impact that it has as we're raising our kids, for them to go through rites of passage, go through preparation, and hopefully one day, if it all goes really well, well, we would like for them to give us a call and go, Hey, Dad, this went really well. What's great, one of the things I love, and I I love your daughter. She and I are right at the same age. But um, I know that you had an experience like that, where you had spent so much time preparing, 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 not really sure how it went, you know, biting your fingernails. And one day you get the phone call that I think all parents hope they can get. But yeah. would you mind telling that
1: story in close? I wish I could say this happens every week of my life. It does not, <laughs> especially with Bethany, who I love my daughter. She is just out there. Uh, Lord knows what she's going to do next, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, my daughter, Bethany, was in her maybe 23, 24 years old, couple years out of college. And she happened to be in Albuquerque, New Mexico. So it was very far from us, mom and dad, in Atlanta, Georgia. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going about my business one day, and I see her name pop up on my phone. She's giving me a call. Well, that was rare because she usually calls at night, not during the day when yeah. I'm working. But I thought, oh, my gosh, something may be going on. Yeah. So I answered the phone. Hey, baby doll, what's up? She goes, hey, Dad. I said, good to hear your voice. What's up? And she goes, oh, nothing. And I said, well, you wouldn't have called me for no reason. You're busy. I'm busy. What's up? She goes, well, I guess I just called to say thanks. I said, wow, that's <laughs> awesome. But and, and every dad loves to hear that, but yeah. thanks for what? Oh, everything. Now, this is my daughter. I don't want to you know, get specific. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, just, yeah. just take it and go. And so I wouldn't let it go. I said, oh, you're so welcome. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to write this down. You're welcome for everything. But <laughs> you must be calling for a specific reason. Did something happen today? And something had happened. And it was so typical, but I was so glad she stopped and thought about it. She said, well, yeah. And then she got kind of huffy. She goes, dad, I'm working in an office where there's a whole bunch of 20 somethings and nobody knows what they're doing. Everybody's on their phone. They're not ready for their career. They're not even have a good work ethic. (laughs) And this is my daughter. And she go, and then she paused and she said, I guess I just got to thank it. You and mom got me ready. And I was just calling to say, thanks. I said, Bethany, you didn't make my week. You made my year mm. <laughs> that call. So uh, I get a little teary too quickly, but I just think this is what, are, what this is what we're all about. And I and I, I'm thankful the Amish, even though we say, oh, those are antiquated people. Maybe yeah. maybe they're timeless, <laughs> and maybe yeah. they got a few things to teach us modernized, postmodernized people that yeah. maybe aren't getting kids ready like we should be. Yeah,
0: maybe they stuck with some of those old ideas because
1: mm-hmm. they really work. Yeah, yeah.
0: Thanks, Tim. Such great insights, and I really appreciate you sharing that story with us, too. Well, if you are looking for a resource that is going to help prepare you to get the students you're leading today better ready for the world they're entering into, what book could you get that would be better than one that's called Ready for Real Life? Andrew,
1: I just got to say, you did this book. I love this book. So let me toot your horn. Folks, this is such a practical book that really outlines really the soft skills, but you use a lot of different terms there, but you give us metaphors, handles and steps. So, folks, I just want to encourage you if what my voice matter, if it matters at all, this Ready for Real Life book is is a tool to help your kids get ready for real life. Thanks so much, Tim.
0: Well, I, I had a great time reading or writing it. I also read it from time to time, <laughs> yum, but yum. I had a great time writing it. And I, I think many people have already found it helpful. So if you're interested in digging a little deeper into what are those skills we actually need to develop in our kids, if they're going to truly be ready for life, this is a great resource for you. If you want to find out more, readyforreallife.com. Or I think it's readyforreallifebook.com is where you can get it. Or you can just go to our store, growingleaders.com slash store, and you can pick up a copy there. Well, as always, if you would rate this podcast, give us five stars on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, we would greatly appreciate it. If you found this episode helpful or insightful, and maybe you thought of somebody you should share it with, please do that. We would also appreciate that as well. If you want to follow us online, we are at Growing Leaders and at Tim Elmore pretty much everywhere you are. And then finally, if you have ideas for this podcast, whether it's a subject you think we should cover or a person you think we should interview, shoot us an email. It's podcast at growingleaders.com. We love getting those. Well, Tim, thank you once again for leading us. Thanks to the Amish for all those life lessons. And thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next time.